Rise and shine, wakey, wakey, eggs and oatmeal. Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, September 10th, 2020. Today we're reading from the big book, and we are currently on page five in Bill's story. Uh, we're at the first paragraph. It begins, liquor ceased to be a luxury, and we're going to read the one paragraph only. Today's readers, we have Randy G. on the 12 steps, Yvette L. on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text are Irene B., Katie G., and Vanita L. And our newcomer greeter following this meeting is uh, Rick J., and the host for the second hour is Matt F. Let me give you the share ID for yesterday, Wednesday, September 9th. Uh, the 7 a.m. meeting, that number is 15,322. That's 15322. And the 10 a.m. meeting, 15,324. That's 15324. The OA Pre-Ramble, Overeaters Anonymous, uh, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and, of course, to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, this is our purpose in life. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, and that is to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people uh, who suffer from compulsive overeating, well, they can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And speaking of those, I will now ask Randy G, Randy G, to read the 12 steps. <laughs> hey, Randy, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Randy G from Florida, our 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. 
Thank you, Randy G. Okay, now we will have, uh, I'll ask uh, Yvette L. to read the uh, 12 traditions. Yvette, good morning. Good morning. Uh, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those, those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Yvette. Here's how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> we read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive readers only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year. For readers, it's six months, and there is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read, and we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to, uh, to each of us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're back in the big book. We're, we're of course, in Bill's story. We are on page number five. Uh, the first paragraph, it begins, liquor ceased to be a luxury. And we're just going to read and comment on the one paragraph only. So I'm going to ask, going to go down to New Orleans. We're going to reach down. And I'm going to ask Irene B. to begin reading. Hey, Irene. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your clever, clever service. Love it. I am Irene B., gratefully recovering bulimic from uh, Baton Rouge. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three. Got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars. 
and I would pay my bills at the bars and in delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Wow. This this paragraph uh, is just coming at me from so many different directions. Liquor became a necessity. Okay, I'm going to focus on denial because that seems to be, um, I'm discovering that was the theme that maintained my illness. We think we know what we need. It became a necessity. Yeah, I need this. And it's like I needed that like I needed a ton of rocks on my head. But the buildup of human emotion was such my inability to deal with life on life's terms just required that I get my fix. And the fix became permanent because I just couldn't handle anything. And I didn't know what it was that I couldn't handle. I just knew I needed to eat. That's how I experienced my feelings through a need to eat. And that was that. And um, when I was a compulsive overeater, I had periods of quote unquote sobriety when I dieted. And then, you know, then the focus was on not eating and losing weight. And, uh, and during those periods, I managed to live somehow, except I was focusing on diet books, reading calorie books. That's no life. But when I became a bulimic, there was, Unless I was at a treatment center, the periods of, of sobriety, if you will, the periods of, of, of non-binging were so scarce over a 40-year period. And I'm going to jump to the other part of this, um, of this uh, paragraph. It says, I still thought I could control the situation. Well, for me, with my bulimia, I knew I couldn't control the situation. I couldn't control it. But with everything else, it's like, yeah, I can control this, I can do this, I can do that. But when it came to the bulimia, I knew I had no control. But there was no hope. There was just absolutely no way out because everything that I had tried had failed me. And now I have a way, and I have vision, and there is hope, and that's my focus. There is hope. It doesn't have to be this way. At this point, I choose to stay sick if I am going to be sick, because I know there is a solution. I just have to have enough grit to hold on to it and to work it. Expression, yesterday's shower doesn't keep me clean. I got to do this on a daily basis. I've got to connect to my power because I cannot stay in this state of hopelessness and endless, endless torture that the addiction is. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. 
Oh, thanks for getting us started, Irene. We certainly appreciate that. Okay, so we're going to transition over to sharing. And although we value your experience, your brilliance, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might, you know, come to know the miracle of sharing. So with that, if you give me your first name and last initial. Colleen T. Lynn Rick J. Amy J. Amy G. Nancy P. Hey. All right, let me go to the I'm going um, to just have everyone just kind of mute if you'd be kind enough to do that for a moment so I can read who I heard and then we can, we can see where we're at. Okay, so I heard, I believe it was Eileen or Arlene. It ended in Aline. So that you know that you're first. I heard Lisa. I heard Lynn. I heard Rick. And I heard Amy G. I'm going to take a couple more. Let's go around. Who's that? Liz in the Elizabeth, Elizabeth D. Barbara E. Okay, so I got here's who I heard, and we'll hold it there. I heard Elizabeth, uh, Liz, Elizabeth, Nancy and Barbara. P. Okay, so here's our lineup. Eileen, Arlene, I apologize if I, I messed it up. Lisa, Lynn, Rick, Amy, Liz, Elizabeth, Barbara, and Nancy. And let's get started with, is it Arlene? Did I hear that right? Or Eileen? No, Arlene, Eileen, Aline. Okay. Yes, right, well, we'll come Pauline. back. Pauline. T, a recovered, yeah, a recovered compulsive overeater from Long Island, New York, and um, I'm new to vision, approximately three months. Truth is, every day is a new day. Um, because of my abstinence, my sobriety, I'm able to go down to the bay every morning. I see the sunrise. I see the beauty, the difference in every day. It's a beautiful way to start my day, to be clean of compulsive overeating, so I can see the beauty of God's hand in the entire day. I, I know that my addiction to food is only one. It's probably the most difficult to give up because it takes so long to know what it is that triggers us. It takes so long to identify carbs. Whereas with an alcoholic or a gambler, you give up the alcohol, you give up the gambling, you go through your withdrawal, and there you are. But with food, it's a humbling process. The progression goes on and on as we relapse. I've had my 46 years in program, 47 in the other program. I keep learning. I keep learning that it is God's plan, not mine. So today I'm very grateful for being a visionary and being recovered. Thank you, everyone. 
I will pass. Uh, thanks for chiming in there, Pauline. And again, we're on page five, first paragraph. We're going to comment on the paragraph that was written, if we can. And uh, next up is Lisa, followed by Lynn. Hey, Lisa. I just scared Lisa away. Lisa, if you press star uh, one to unmute. Okay, we'll move on and we'll come back. Uh, Lynn S., are you ready? Good morning, Lynn. Okay, am I 0 for 2 on that? So we had, uh, I, I called on Lisa. Hey, Larry, I I'm heard... I was had trouble unmuting. This is Lynn S., Recovered Compulsive oh, in Toronto, Canada. Good morning. When I was listening just before the meeting started, and it was read we were starting at liquor, seemed to be, ceased to be a luxury, I stopped dead in my tracks. I had such a remember when... And what I was remembering was before program, and it was around November 26th or 27th, and the Christmas parties were starting then. And I remember my heart sank like a rock. And I thought, oh, dear God, the eating, like the eating in force is starting earlier now. (laughs) I remember being so shocked by that reaction because before it would have brought elation. Yay, Christmas parties starting early, even more good stuff. But by the end, it was the death sentence had been extended and I had to go through all those more grueling, trying to squeeze myself into extra strength, girdle enforced pantyhose, getting into some black dress sequined like a stuffed sausage, waddling to these parties, everybody else having fun and looking gorgeous, and me chained to the buffet table or watching the people go by with the little trays, knowing that I would eat my face off and eat all the way home and lie in bed and cry and do it over again at the next party. And I, the, the annihilation of the spirit, the annihilation of the soul, this terrible, terrible disease that had me in its grips, and I saw no way out. I just, oh, it's such a strong, visceral reaction to a thing that that the way I used to live, it, it's incredible. I am so grateful. I just, I'm just gobsmacked, really. So I'm going to stop now because the, the weight of this experience and the depth and weight of the recovery I'm experiencing now have uh, really made an impact. And I, I just want to pass with that. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lynn. Maybe I didn't hear a Lisa, but if there is a Lisa, you can you certainly can unmute if that's you. 
Okay. If not, uh, we're going to go over to uh, starting linebacker, Rick J. Hey, Rick, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you're coming through. Okay. I sometimes have technical difficulties when my, with my phone, and I think I'm unmuted and I'm not. So, yeah, good to be uh, online this morning here, everybody. Uh, I'm Rick J. I'm a compulsive overeater in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, recovered but not cured, as my dear friend always says. Um, and three things just jumped out at me and ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. This went on endlessly. And I still thought I could control the situation. You know, so there's this increasing progression and denial, you know, going on hand in hand. You know, the more the progression increases, the more the denial has to, to um, amp it up, you know, to, to stay <laughs> to stay uh, abreast with the, uh, you know, with the progression. So the denial is is getting... Uh, extreme uh, don't even notice I am lying you know to myself so there was a period where for about five years I uh, I commuted uh, about an hour uh, to and from uh, school and then work and um, and it got to where when I when I was driving home I always got the same thing um, I got like this you know, this huge bag of like peanut M&Ms, a massive uh, Snickers candy bar, a huge bag of these these chips that I liked, and to round all that off, uh, a Diet Pepsi. <laughs> so, and I would time it so I had something in my mouth as I was driving home continuously. I could I I paced myself to where from the time that I left, the time I arrived home. I had I I was constantly eating that whole time, and of course there was a lot of times there was dinner waiting for me, you know, when I got home, and then I would you know dive into the dinner you know with gusto to you know so my wife would feel like you know I was she was you know feeding her hungry husband and you know I was I was like so full I couldn't see straight and feeling sick, um, my body just rushing with sugar and salt. You know, and that was just, that went on, you know, just for years. And then um, there really weren't periods of sobriety. Uh, there was the weekend when I didn't have that driving routine, but then I was into other binge foods. But there was a part of me that was thinking that because I was only getting a certain amount, you know, and then pacing myself that I was controlling the situation. That's how I justified that. Um but I think it's it's an eye opener for me when I'm when I'm reading this, uh, because this is all about progression and denial. You know that cycle that just keeps us going, spiraling downward. And with every bite, you know, I'm getting more and more disconnected from my higher power. And this, you know, I was I was uh, not drinking anymore, uh, sober, uh, quote unquote, in AA, but not unable to control my food. Um, but because I wasn't drinking, I justified a lot of eating um, because I was no longer in that hellish nightmare of alcoholism. Um, but uh, I'm so grateful that I don't have to live that way um, where I'm, I have to eat, where it, it was a necessity and it was going on endlessly. 
and thinking I could control the situation. Um, just very grateful to be absent today. With that, I pass. Thanks, Rick. Okay, let's go on off to Maryland, and then we'll 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 come up to the UK there. Hey, Amy. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy G. I am a compulsive overeater recovered in Maryland. Thank you, everyone, for Vision for You meetings. Uh, I could agree so much with what was just shared. You know, talk about talking out of both sides of his mouth here. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. He's shaking violently in the morning. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. They talk about the three D's of the disease, denial, delusion, and defiance. And, you know, as we progress through Bill's story and further into the book, you know, we're going to come into the descriptions of different kinds of drinkers, you know, the problem drinker, the hard drinker, and the, you know, the real alcoholic, and for us, the real compulsive overeater. And if we remember yesterday's paragraph, you know, we have five more years of this with Bill. And this is not a problem or a hard drinker. I mean, one of the things that defines me as a compulsive overeater is when the need to eat my alcoholic foods, if you will, supersede and are paramount over everything, no matter the consequences, no matter how much I don't want it to happen, no matter what. And this is something that is beyond my ability to control, physical allergy, mental obsession. And he doesn't even know, like we said, don't even know I'm lying. He's still thinking he can control it. I mean, let's, we've learned a lot about Bill and his character, about what's paramount in his life, what he thinks is most important, which was what? To succeed. You know, when he had arrived to the applause of his friends and colleagues with his success with business, and he tore it all down. On page two, it talks about... Um, He was to forge a weapon that would turn around like a boomerang and shred himself to ribbons because the need for the drink, the necessity for the drink became paramount over everything else, even the things that he thought were most important in his life. And that's exactly what I did with my eating. And, 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 and back then, I mean, think about it. This is not, this bill was not happy living with his parents, living with his in-laws, people that were not happy with him, trust me, based on what Harlan described yesterday, you know, this was not a happy life for Bill. And yet he was willing to do that because he was dealing with something that was beyond his control. And I could so relate to that, you know, the guilt, the shame of saying, how did I get here? Pounding on the bar, pounding at the buffet, five bites into a binge going, how did I get here? I didn't, I didn't want to be here. I mean, this is suicide on the layaway plan. He had years of this. It's like a slow burn. This disease will take you any way it can get you. Suicide on the layaway plan, you know? And what's scary for me is this disease had me in such misery, but just not enough to kill me. It's willing to destroy my life in the process of killing me and ravage me of anything good emotionally, spiritually, and physically. That's what this disease does. And I didn't even know it. And that's what's so scary. This is beyond 
for me as a true compulsive overreader, it was a beyond my ability to control. And I'm so grateful because this program has brought me a solution where I don't have to be the one to fix it anymore. Thank God what I needed to do was surrender and work these steps. And there the solution lies. And I'm so grateful today. But boy, what an eye opener today to to remember what it was like that I don't have to be that way anymore and that it's not something I have to control. I just need these 12 steps in my higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. Okay, next up we have Liz, followed by Elizabeth. Hello, Liz. Morning, Larry. Liz E from the UK here. Um, It's afternoon here with me, but um, I'm so thrilled to be here. And thank you to Larry and everybody doing service. Um, This paragraph, amazingly, I talked through this paragraph earlier this morning with a sponsee. And um, hello to her if she's on the line. Um, And also hello to my amazing sponsor. You know who you are. Um, But um, liquor seems to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin. For me, um, you know, it's so expensive, this disease. Um, I, you know, had to resort to making my money go as far as possible. So I just bought cheaper and cheaper and nastier food, really, that was really unhealthy, full of chemicals, full of sugar. Um, I don't know what you have in the States, but we have a lot of these buy one, get one free offers. So, you know, searching out the offers, getting the maximum amount of rubbish food for my money. And... That just, you know, when I read this paragraph, it just took me back to those days um, of ridiculous amounts of shopping. And I would be at the checkout till, and you would think I was buying for a family of six rather than a family of two. I have a daughter who's at school, and it just was ridiculous. And a few days later, I would be having to do more shopping to buy more rubbish. So what that, this is what this paragraph um, told me. And But today, I now understand my disease. I understand that I get a buildup of human emotion and that, that if I take my allergies, flour and sugar, into my body, that will trigger an uncontrollable craving and I will be back buying that bathtub gin, that rubbish food, looking for those offers. So that has been an enormous light bulb moment for me and has transformed my uh, recovery. And today I've got an amazing recovery. It's very young, my recovery, but I have it through this um, amazing program, Vision for You. And this, then it goes on, I've began to waken early in the morning, shaking violently. I didn't shake violently, but I had to start getting a fix really quickly. And I would just buy and eat. I would have breakfast, and then um, I would then have to um, buy more things on the way to the office, and more and more and more. And I was just eating all day long to manage. And I just, and every day I would go to bed 
full of shame. And when my head hit the pillow, I thought, tomorrow, Elizabeth, you'll do it. You'll start again. But you know what? That never, ever happened. And uh, people around me, used to, I used to be able to convince them that this diet would work this time. Gentle reminder. Anyway, today, thank you. I'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Bye. Oh, thank you, Liz. Okay, now seating the Elizabeth party, the Elizabeth party. I'm here. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate your service this morning, um, Larry, and I'm grateful to be on the line setting my timer. Um, So my name is Elizabeth, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater living in the Boston area. Um, This paragraph... um, hits me between the eyes and I, um, I have to share what I've heard, um, a lot of what I've heard already, but it's my story and it's important for me to hear myself say my story so that I remember. Um, this paragraph for me points out the two things, the, um, the progressive nature of, the, of my illness and secondly, the denial that's characterized by that illness. Um, for me, I, I've been through periods of abstinence um, and after a period of abstinence when, for whatever reason, I pick up, those first few bites, wow, like luxurious, like it says it, it was a luxury. I mean, the luxury of eating the foods that I had denied myself during the periods of abstinence, boy, did I eat them with a relish, uh, no pun intended. Um, here really, while I was eating, here was a solution to my fear, my loneliness, my boredom. Um, you know, I was, all those things that I was experiencing while I was living in the food without the deep, effective spiritual experience I needed to be living beyond the food. The food was a solution, like I've heard said, for me at those times. But very soon, it ceased to be a luxury. Um, and as I kept eating and as my eating progressed during those relapses, it no, the eating was no longer enjoyed. Um, I, I was sick from, through my binging, but I kept eating, trying to find the relief that I, had, that I had found before, but there was none to be found. There was only this wakefulness in the middle of the night with a new fear, and that new fear was, I'm hurting myself. I'm going to die from this. I have to stop. I'm going to leave my daughter an orphan a second time if I keep this up. But then the next day, you know, getting a couple of hours and then the next day going for that solution again, which was no longer a solution. It was now killing me. And the denial is I can keep doing this. I can do that. I can get through this. I can control this. I can change. All I have to do is just go back to my, my OA meetings, find that diet with group support, and I'll be able to get, get it back and lose the, weight, lose the weight. And the whole time in denial about what I really needed was to admit that I was powerless over this illness and to seek the spiritual experience that would release me from it. The only solution to that broader, bigger part of my disease, which is that mental obsession, is the deep and effective spiritual experience which I find through the steps and which I have found and for which I am eternally grateful because it's changed my life and, and created for me in a, a life that I never imagined that I could, could have. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share the story and to hear other people talk about the horror of this disease and the denial that comes with it and to be able to hear myself 
remember that that is who I am. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Elizabeth. Okay, here's our luxury. We got uh, Barbara followed by Nancy. Hey, Barbara, good morning. Good morning, and thank you, everyone. Um, like Bill with alcohol, greasy, sweet, salty food ceased to be a luxury for me, but a necessity. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of abstinence from my binging, which sometimes lasted for as long as a year, and renewed my hope that this time, this new diet would work. But my periods of abstinence got shorter and shorter, and the binges got longer and longer. I always ended up in a deeper hole than before. I always found a new bottom. I couldn't stay stopped from eating the foods that were killing me, and I ate 24 hours a day. So when I finally crawled into OA in 1997, a bursting out of a size 24 person, and someone offered to be my step sponsor, I gratefully said, thank you. Tell me what I have to do. She told me to trust God, clean house, and help others, and that would help me stay the course. I didn't know what she meant, but I thought, why not? What do I have to lose? A lot of weight, my negative attitude, and beneath it, the fear that I was not worthy enough to ever be truly happy. Managing on my own had brought me to my knees. I screwed up so many times before, and ironically, now in 2020, this program keeps me on my knees and humble because my life could deteriorate in a heartbeat. Now I think of myself as a porcelain vessel with an opening at the top and the bottom. I bring all the affirmations, the lovely possibilities in through the top of the vessel and let the negativity and fears out through the bottom. So when life doesn't go the way I'd hoped, when physical issues send me to multiple doctors, I truly stay calm, pray, and let God take over. And it works. Two Sundays ago, I swallowed a pit, and nothing I did to cough it up worked. I gurgled when I tried to talk. It was stuck and it hurt, but at least I wasn't choking. When my sponsee called up the next morning, I said, I really can't talk, but let's say the third step to prayer together. And I swear to you, when we finished the prayer, in my case, gurgle the prayer, the pill popped out of my mouth and onto the kitchen counter. I do believe that God was saying, Barbara's suffered enough. She's learned a valuable lesson about not gulping her food anymore, but chewing. So in the morning, I asked God to relieve me of the desire to control my destiny, to, to please give me the pause and pray to obey the pause, to remember to chew my food and know that it's God's will for me not only to make right choices, but be free to make the wrong choices, because sometimes I learn as much, maybe more, from the wrong choices. To ask God what is his will for us, not just me, because we're all united in our humanity. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, next up is Nancy P. Nancy, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everybody. Nancy P. from West Newton, Massachusetts, recovered. Wow. Uh, everybody's shares are so awesome. Um, and for me, 
my two cents is liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. That's the definition of addiction. And then, you know, like the rest of this book, it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. You don't have to imagine what it's like to be an addict. So bathtub gin, two bottles a day, et cetera, et cetera. And the cruelest part of this disease, the cruelest thing that it does, is nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hopes. So I sort of seesawed between dire, violent eating and, you know, not periods of, periods of sobriety for me were maybe if I got from breakfast to lunch without eating compulsively or eating anything. Um, but occasionally there might be a day when I realized I was so busy that I didn't have time to stop on the way to work to pick up my usual dozen donuts or half dozen bagels. Um, or, you know, somehow I'd be eating with other people so there was salads for everybody prepackaged like that. You know, something like that might happen and I'd have a day and I'd be like, oh, I, I got this licked. You know, this is, you know, this is, I, I'm going to be okay. I guess it's going to be okay. All I have to do is do this every single day. But, you know, we've ta- this whole story up to here has been about the progression, starting with drinking hadn't yet overtaken his life he, to hardly drawing a sober breath. It ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity, and he still thought he could control. And it only gets worse because, you know, not to give away the plot, but the next paragraph, the first sentence is gradually things get worse. And I think to myself in my own life, how could things get worse? How could they possibly get worse when... Every morning on my way to work, I buy a dozen donuts. I eat them, tear them, you know, not even swallow them. I eat, tear them in half and swallow them whole, half a donut at a time. And then I get to work and whatever's left, I go into the elevator bay in, my, in the parking garage and I throw it away and I brush my hands off and actually say the words out loud. It's like it never happened. And then I couldn't even get to my office without stopping. I worked at a university and I couldn't stop. I couldn't get to my office without stopping at one of the coffee shops and buying, you know, breakfast, uh, their breakfast bars for the students and, um, and eating. And then my own, you know, like and on and on and on, my own breakfast and my own lunch and anything else that happened to be in, you know, anywhere that was sort of on display for people to help themselves. I ate like that all the time. And when I got home and went to bed, I, you know, fall into bed and be, you know, sick with sugar and sick with, you know, sticky, sticky, sticky. And, um, you know, I wake up in the morning and heave a huge sigh and say, either I wonder if I'm going to eat today or I hope I don't eat today or I'm definitely not going to eat today or another sigh, it looks like I'm going to eat today. I knew. And um, until I surrender, thank you, I'll wrap up. You know, I knew, but when I finally surrendered and said, I don't know, tell me what to do, the obsession was lifted. And I have not had to hurt myself with food since then, no matter what has happened. And a lot has happened to me. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Okay, we're on page five, the first paragraph, liquor ceased to be a luxury. If you're scared and like me and feel like you're going to, sounds stupid on the line. We want to hear from you. <laughs> so who would like to share on what was read? Ken Vanita L. Vanita. Patty D. Patty. Melissa C. Randy G. Randy. 
and I got Lisa, I believe, in there. So um, here's who I heard, and my apologies for those that I did not. Um, I think it's Johan from Sweden, and uh, Vanita, and Patty, and Lisa, and Melissa, and Randy G. Did I get that right, Johan? Did I get that, uh, or did I botch it up? My friend from Sweden. No? He's like, yeah, oh, that's sure. right, Johan N. Ah, there you are. Hi. Good morning, Johan N. Uh, from Sweden, uh, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, thank you so much for service and for this meeting every day. It's a real blessing being here. And uh, I love this paragraph. I remember in my early 20s, like Bill said a couple of uh, paragraphs earlier, I had arrived. I had arrived. I had money. Uh, I had prestige. I was living in southern Europe, in uh, southern France, and in Barcelona, and, and uh, was eating out every day, and going to Michelin star restaurants, and, and uh, I was not an overeater, uh, so, I, so I thought I was a connoisseur, or, <laughs> uh, uh, or a jet set, and living life, and, and still I was eating, binging my brains out in the, in the evenings with the cookies and all kinds of, of shit. And if I fast forward to my mid-30s and the, the end of my 30s, I mean, the show was over. I was back in Sweden and uh, I was not eating out. Uh, and uh, I, the disease has just, had just progressed during all these years and it just got worse and worse and worse. And now I was digging out everything that I could eat uh, in the cupboard and in the freezer. My, my, my wife uh, tried putting bread in the freezer so I wouldn't eat it, but it didn't stop me. I just went into the freezer and I ate everything with carbs in it, just like a vacuum cleaner in, in the kitchen eating everything. Uh, but at last I came to a way and when I fully committed to the program, I. I worked the steps really fast and I, I had a spiritual experience. Uh, the obsession left me, which was a complete miracle. Uh, today I can, uh, I can bake with my daughter. I can have all my old triggers or alcoholic food at home. It doesn't bother me at all. I can cook with them. And I'm, I'm completely neutral uh, around, around this kind of foods. And uh, so I'm so grateful for, for this program, for the vision meetings, for my vision sponsor, for getting to sponsor people all around the world today, which is uh, uh, such a blessing. And uh, yeah, just living one day at a time in step 10, 11, and 12 to the best of my ability. And been abstinent for 15 months and and I still wake up every morning. I can't believe it that I'm still free from this obsession. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm so grateful. So thank you. And with that, I pause. Thanks. Thank you, Johan. Much appreciated, Vanita. Good morning. Yep. Buenos dias, Vanita. <laughs> Compulsive overeater recovered and super grateful for that today. Super grateful for vision for you and um, for all the support I get 
on this line. Um, yeah, this paragraph is great for me because it really reminds me that this disease gets progressive. And I've fought that for a long time in 12-step programs. Like, oh, I don't know if that's really true or not. But um, I, I've surrendered to that and seen a lot of evidence of that. And I'm just grateful because I could see myself um, getting, I like to feel free and I'll go through periods where I feel like, oh my God, maybe I'm being obsessive compulsive with this abstinence and the way my food plan is and everything like that. And I start to try to loosen things up and see how things work. And um, I just really, you know, sat and it felt so vulnerable, right? Because going through a sponsor like every one of my um, things on my food list you know and reevaluating those and refiguring out you know a daily food plan and um, I'm just grateful today to feel like I'm on track and that I have a lot of people that I can be vulnerable with and that I can ask for love and support and um, people who are there for me thank you Oh, thank you, Vanita. Next up, we have uh, Peppermint Patty, followed by Lisa. Hey, Patty. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Good morning. Hi, everybody. My name's Patty. I'm from Illinois. I'm a food addict and recovered, uh, working on recovery today. And, um, yeah, I love this paragraph. I love everything that's been uh, said. Thank you for everybody doing service on the line. When I was thinking about uh, the bathtub gin, I was thinking, yeah, I would buy really cheap food, junk, junk food, right? Um, So it would last longer. I may not have even liked it, but it still kept, you know, it it was cheap. And, um, And yes, it did go on endlessly. And um, I would wake up in the morning just thinking about what I was going to eat. That's, that was my first thought. What am I going to eat? And, um, and then for me, as far as periods of sobriety, I had periods of diets, which renewed my hope that I could still do it. Um, so I really relate to this paragraph and I'm so grateful I don't have to be in that today with you know, the help of God, uh, the people on this line, my sponsor, it is um, it's such a better way to live um, without being controlled by a substance. So thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I passed. Oh, oh thanks, Patty. Okay, next up, uh, Lisa, followed by Melissa. Good morning, Lisa. Oh, good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and I do spell my name (laughs) L-E-S-A. I said it instead of you, Larry, this time. I love this paragraph, and I really need to hear everyone on the line, and I just wanted to speak up because I used to compare myself to other people's consequences, you know, and I would think I'm not as bad as you, and I would... I would opt out of the program, and I really think for many years I wasn't able to get this wonderful state of being recovered because of that. And I would hear people's 
horror stories. And I would think, you know, I never did that. And I thought about on more about alcoholism on page 33, it says to be gravely affected. One does not necessarily have to drink a long time or take the quantities some of us have. And that was my case, but it doesn't mean that it's not there waiting for me. And, you know, for, so what I have found for myself with this illness of compulsive overeating and addiction is that it's been hiding out under my front porch and every day I have to go down those steps and I don't know if today is going to be the day that it's going to reach out and grab me by the ankles and pull me in. And I lived in that state of fear. I didn't know if today would be the day I'd be able to have a Twix candy bar. But the funny thing is like three days later, I would wake up and I'd say, I'm going to have a binge. I used to think I'm choosing that binge. Now I understand that my body's mandated. It's because of that allergy of the body, you know, and I had to learn what that allergy really meant. It doesn't mean I break out in hives or my throat closes up. Something else happens. It, it's the disease of more. But I had to identify myself that that's what I am. And I do believe inside of me, there's an 80-pound anorexic or there's a 500-pound person. And I can't determine which way or when that's going to happen. The other thing I like to see is that liquor liquor ceased to be a luxury. Well, you know, I went from Godiva chocolates to digging things out of the garbage. And that's one of my horror stories. I also started smoking cigarettes and I found out that they lay cigarettes with sugar. You know, anything that would give me an effect um, is what I went to. And I also saw periods of sobriety. One day I woke up knowing that sugar was killing me and I prayed because I had been in AA and I thought, well, let me, let me apply the 12 steps and ask God to remove the desire for sugar. And I was able to quote unquote, get off of sugar for about two years, but I ate huge portions of mashed potatoes with loads of butter and salt and all kinds of other things, you know? So I never really experienced entire abstinence until I got into this book with a recovered compulsive overeater and understood what the doctor's opinion is saying. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Randy, we're going to have to wait till the second hour. And Melissa, we have a couple of minutes. We have a Vision for You monogram face shield for school on the 21st. Good morning, I Melissa. Missed, good morning. I missed <laughs> what you said about a monogram, so I'll have to Oh, it's a face shield, a Vision for You face shield, please. Oh, that's perfect for me. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Larry. You're so thoughtful. I think it's two minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. okay, good. So I'm Melissa Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm in New York. Um, and really what I get, you know, out of this, of course, is the progression. And that, um, you know, when liquor ceases to be a luxury, it's a necessity. So, um, you know, there was a time I could fit my eating into my life. and then, And then I was struggling to fit my life into my eating. And then eating was the most important part of my life. And then now, you know, in this part of where Bill is in this story, eating equals life. Eating is his life. Eating is, is the supreme, you know, the only way that he can live. Drinking is all that he can do to live. And, and that's, that's where the disease took me. You know, it, it, um, it robbed me of all self-sufficiency. And while it did it, it allowed me to believe that yes, I was still in control, right? It it it's it's, you know, in um, the AA twelve and twelve, it says it's the rapacious creditor, and so it gets me to sign. I think about this creditor that gets me to sign on the dotted line, 
only I believe that I made the terms and that I'm, I got this under control and I can handle it. And, you know, so at the very end for me, um, I stopped eating sugar, guys. I wasn't eating sugar anymore, and I could, and I could wear that on a shirt. I don't eat sugar, and I'm, and I'm abstinent. I don't know what that meant anymore because I could take things that were sugar-free um, and eat them in ways till my mouth bled. And that's really what happened to me at the very end. That's when, that's when you know you're owned by the food when you're eating in a way that is completely um, killing you and you still think that you're controlling it. I still thought I was controlling it. And, um, you know, I couldn't control it. I was powerless. It owned me. Um, and um, thanks just knowing that, and I'll pass. Thank you. Uh, thanks for wrapping us up there, uh, Melissa. And thank you to everyone who has shared and joined us this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today is 15,330. That's 15330. And we're now going to close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Gabby G., the offspring of Katie G., please read A Vision for You. <laughs> there are no pictures, Larry. Hey, this is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Eater in Boston. A vision for you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.